Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome back here on Big Blue View for another off-season preview, positional preview show. I am Joe DeLeon, joined by Chris Blum today. Just us, no Nick Filato. Today we are talking tight ends, the Giants tight end group that has some storylines coming in regarding one particular player who has underperformed since being a first-round pick. Another former first-rounder who joined the ranks during the free agency and then a lot of random names that are going to be in the mix to fill out the rest of this roster. Folks, make sure you hit that subscribe button. And also heading on over to BigBlueView.com for more Giants news and analysis. So Evan Ingram is the guy at the top who has had streaks in his time with the Giants where he's looked really, really good. And he's made a ton of good plays and he's had huge games. But it seems like since his rookie year, he's gradually taken some steps back. He's gradually regressed. He has not really played at the level that we thought he was going to become after he had such a huge first year in the NFL. And right now is make or break time for Evan Ingram, a year where he really has to show what he is capable of coming off of a somehow Pro Bowl season last year, which was a little bit more of a joke <laughs> rather than a serious claim. But Evan Ingram, he has to perform well this season, really. And I know we've been saying this for so long, folks. He has to perform well to guarantee a next contract with the Giants. Yeah, he really does. And I, I think the case with Evan Ingram, and you know, I can I can already hear the keyboards being hit furiously because. You know, he has, and he's contributed to this himself. He's kind of become the the villain for Giants fans this year. It seems like every year that goes badly, a, a villain comes out of it. You know, uh, after 2010, it was uh, probably Brandon Jacobs, uh, then David Deal, uh, Marcus Kuhn was the villain for a while, and it just seems that yeah, Giants fans always find someone to pin an entire season going wrong on. And this year it seems it was Evan Ingram. And yes, he did have a lot of drops last year. He had a drop rate of, I think about 10 and a half percent, 10 percent somewhere around there. That's uh, per pro football reference. But the, and that does kind of harken back to a problem he had as a rookie where he was dropping the ball a fair amount as a rookie, but he made up for it by having a lot of offensive output. He had, you know, Good yardage, lots of touchdowns. He basically was the Giants' entire passing game after 
well, pretty much their entire wide receiver core got hurt. But unfortunately, we didn't really see him build on that really great rookie season. But what he did do was actually he cut down on his drops his sophomore and junior year. He had a, we'll just say acceptable drop rate of about 4.5%, still higher than you'd want it to be. That's a lot higher than like Sterling Shepard's is, for for instance. But it's also not terrible. Uh, It's lower than Darius Slayton's has been, uh, actually lower than uh, Kenny Galladay's has been, I believe, the previous two years. So, you know, the drops are always probably going to be something to be aware of with Ingram, but it's a, it is a problem he has overcome before and he can fix it again. I think the other problem with Ingram is just how he is used. The Giants, I, I'm, they have never really committed to using a hybrid tight end the way they should be used. And I think that also holds him back in addition to the mistakes he makes himself. That's always been the, the big key here. You mentioned the drops and then the injuries that have kept him off the field for strings of periods of time for the Giants. And you also talk about the confusing usage where you almost wonder why they aren't maybe trying to deploy him a little bit more as a receiver rather than as a big bulky possession tight end. We've seen a lot of that. And we've we've always questioned that. We've talked about that a ton. And we, we honestly predicted that last season they would try to stretch the field with him a little bit more with Jason Garrett, but that didn't exactly go as we had anticipated and as it's always talked about I think when you have a first round guy who's struggling I feel as though if Evan Ingram was a day two pick our expectations for him wouldn't be as high and I think maybe we'd be a little bit more content with what Evan Ingram has done if he was a late second rounder or a third round pick because it'd be like oh this guy's been productive he's had some big games he hasn't necessarily had a thousand yards uh, for a season and 10 touchdowns but he has been a problem in games where they've needed him to step up. However, because he is this first-round pick, this highly drafted guy who had a really big first year in the league, and, and it's talked about how great of an athlete he is, our perception is, all right, why isn't he killing teams for 100 yards every other game? Why isn't he finishing as a top-five, top-ten tight end statistically? We've been very frustrated, I think, because of that perception. The way that I look at it now, Chris, coming into what's probably going to be that, again, make or break year for Evan Ingram, you now have a a little bit of the pressure taken off of his shoulders with Kyle Rudolph. And this is a team that likes to run a lot of 12 personnel, a lot of extra tight ends. You work Kyle Rudolph into the mix. I think this becomes a little bit more balanced uh, and and things are not going to be always solely on Evan Ingram has to make the big catch or he has to make this big play in certain scenarios. Yeah, and you know, the, Kyle Rudolph has been you know, something of a storyline this year. He, he was an unexpected signing. I don't think either one of us really saw the Giants going after a tight end in free agency this year. Uh, maybe that's because we were kind of you know, crossing our fingers that they'd land Kyle Pitts in the draft. But you could tell that Jason Garrett does want a more complete tight end, uh, a guy with a skill set that he's familiar with. A, you know, after all those years with Jason Garrett, uh, Sorry, Jason Witten, starting to get my Jasons confused. Uh, you, you can't really blame him. The question, I think, is what Kyle Rudolph is at this point in his career. You know, we could see him over the last two years start to get phased out of the Vikings offense. He went from being one of their top three options to really primarily a blocking tight end, where he was 
kept into pass protect or run block almost exclusively. I think his final year with the Vikings, he really only got something like 20 or 30 receptions, which was by far his career low. And you know, between that and his foot injury, I think it is fair to wonder how much he has left. Now, if he's able to get back to where he was two or three years ago, maybe not be that guy exactly, but even close, that could help take some of the pressure off Evan Ingram to be the primary tight end, which would give the Giants really a lot more flexibility to deploy him how he really should be deployed. You know, maybe not in line attached to the right tackle all the time, you know, put him in the slot, move him as an H back or as part of a bunch formation out wide where you can really use his wide receiver level athleticism and create those mismatches that we have been calling for basically since he's been drafted. Yeah. And I think hopefully that this pairing with Kyle Rudolph might really help him out because again, taking some of that pressure off of his shoulders might be what he needs where he doesn't need to always think, Oh, I am the go-to tight end. I'm supposed to be uh, manufactured certain situations that are supposed to get me the football, like that stick route that has never worked, (laughs) but we're, we no longer, you know, we're in this position now where I think Kyle Rudolph, he's at the end of his career, but he's still a a good tight end. He's, he's going to be a little bit more of what I think, they wanted Evan Ingram to be last year, which is just being the possession guy and a, a pretty good blocker. And then you can ask Evan Ingram to be what he is supposed to be, which is a receiver. So hopefully we actually see that and we don't see the slamming their head in against a wall and assuming that they're going to get a different result this time by doing the same thing that they did last year that didn't work very well. Someone who kind of fell off a little bit, though, last year, Chris, that we hoped could have a big year as the tight end two on this roster, was Caden Smith. He had a really, really good time when Evan Ingram two years ago was hurt, and he stepped up and looked so, so good in Pat Shermer's offense. Now in Jason Garrett's offense, he didn't necessarily get the same amount of production and looks, but I think now he's likely going to be that tight end three, but that's not necessarily a guarantee with Levine Toilolo looming over him. Yeah, I think this is where the addition of Kyle Rudolph really makes things interesting because the Giants made a point of keeping Levine Toilolo. Uh, I think we'll get into the significance of that in the second half. But Caden Smith was a guy we both pegged as one of the real bright spots and one of the genuine surprises to come out of that 2019 season, which was just depressing pretty much every other way around, where, yeah. By the end of the year, we were looking for something from this offense, some reason for optimism. And, you know, Caden Smith was the brightest bright point, a practice squad player coming out of nowhere and having a really strong finish to the year. And we both thought he would take a step forward as a in this 2020 season for the Giants. And it just never really materialized. Part of it, I think, is how Jason Garrett used the tight ends in his offense. They didn't really get a lot of the same opportunities in the same situations as Pat Shermer did, which that's, you know, the the different natures of the offense. But also, you know, just his general play didn't take the developmental step we were really expecting. 
Yeah, and I think that we had such high expectations for Caden Smith to develop into this really good secondary option. And we had the, the anticipation for a ton of tight end usage in Jason Garrett's offense, which is why it was so surprising to not really see that much production from him, especially a year where there was inconsistency from the receiver position in terms of who was actually available. You would think that they would try to get some touches for Caden Smith, but that necessarily wasn't the case. And I, I almost wonder, Chris, if that step back last year where he wasn't as good and didn't have as much production, if that puts him in a battle for that tight end three spot, the final tight end spot on the roster with Levine Toilolo. But at the same time, Levine Toilolo was not very good last year. I mean, he made a lot of egregious errors as a blocker, which is what his job is supposed to be. I might be wrong there, but I, I recall some mistakes, some holding penalties, some dumb things that he did last year when he was supposed to be brought in to be this enormous body that took up space and was supposed to be the perfect piece for their 13 personnel. Yeah, no, that that's exactly what happened. And you know, we were both you know, confused by the decision to bring him in. And then Levine Toilolo actually started two games for the Giants, which is a thing I didn't realize until I actually looked at it. He had you know, six targets, five receptions. He was not intended to be a receiver. He is basically a an extra offensive tackle. And he came in with this reputation as a fantastic blocker. And the blocking just wasn't really there. Now, he took a pay cut to stay with the Giants, but I think we really all of us expected him to be not on the team this year to be a cap casualty, you know, because I'm not entirely sure his play last year really uh, justified keeping him on the roster and just keeping that contract on the roster, even at a lower salary number. Yeah, I was a bit shocked by that decision to keep Toilolo around. I, I thought that he would be a pretty clear let's move on and just continue moving forward, especially with the addition of Kyle Rudolph. But here he is still coming back, competing for that final spot. Maybe they go with four tight ends, but that is very, very rare, very infrequent for teams to do that. Now, the rest of this group that we have here, Chris, are guys that are likely fighting for practice squad spots. Not all of them are eligible. Guys that are trying to surprise and maybe work their way into that tight end three spot, but regardless are, are mostly going to be camp bodies. First one, Nakia Griffin Stewart, who is from New Jersey, New Jersey native, six foot five, two sixty, played at Pitt and Rutgers. Not really very productive in college, despite being a very highly ranked uh, ranked recruit coming out of high school. Cole Haikutini bounced around on a couple different rosters, uh, I believe Cowboys and 49ers since twenty seventeen. Rice and John we know about, who we've talked about a ton, and he's somebody who, if his development goes the way that that the Giants are hoping and things are perfect for, for his development, he could turn into a decent player on this roster, but his likelihood of making the team is a bit slim. I would anticipate another practice squad year for Rice and John unless somebody snatches him up after roster cuts. And then the last one, Kelvin Benjamin, a massive human being who was formerly a receiver, making his transition 
a little bit more of a uh, I don't even know how to describe it. it it's uh, it's a little bit more of just a, a trending name than it is a realistic opportunity to make the roster. But maybe the dude's been busting his ass and he actually really challenges for that third spot. But I, I really don't see that that happening when you usually want to keep that third tight end as a guy who can block, who can clear some paths. And this is a guy who was playing receiver very recently. So I'm pretty sure that he's not going to be exactly that. Yeah, I I would expect the third tight end, whoever that winds up being, to be really more of a complete tight end and also a guy who can contribute on special teams. You know, like you said, as a blocker, maybe somebody who, you know, obviously somebody who can be on the hands team. Maybe if they're particularly physical uh, on some coverage teams, but I would really expect it to be somebody who can provide depth behind both Ingram and Kyle Rudolph. I am not sure if that is Kelvin Benjamin, but I've also never seen him at tight end. So I, I think he he is somebody we should he and Rice and John are probably two guys we should keep off to the side and maybe keep our eye on them for training camp and then this uh three game preseason we're going to be looking forward to because you know maybe they will surprise. It, they certainly are big. They are athletic, and yeah, if the Giants decide they want to feature tight ends in the passing game and use them more as offensive weapons and less as blockers, those two guys could have something like an inside track or at least a slight advantage towards making the roster. Yeah, and regardless of... I I, I just still see most of these guys as in an uphill battle. And we've talked about a number of these other position groups where there's, there's just a bunch of names hovering around that aren't necessarily in a position to make the roster. It's not like some of these other groups, maybe the offensive line where there's going to be some actual roster battles, but the, the, the real fight here is going to be between Caden Smith and Levine Toilolo. So that is what we're going to be watching for coming up on the other side. We are going to be talking about a headline that we're going to be watching specific to the tight ends, which is, How will they be deployed and used in 2021? Do we think it's different? Do we think it's the same? Coming up soon. So who doesn't love talking about tight ends and how they're used in your offense? That's what we love to talk about here. And Chris, you've got a lot of good numbers here to support how tight end friendly this offense is, which makes it actually slightly possible for them to maybe go against the grain and carry a fourth tight end if they really want to keep both Caden Smith and Levine Toilolo or hell maybe it's either Smith or Toilolo and for some reason Kelvin Benjamin makes his way onto the roster because Dave Gettleman has such an affinity for the guy Uh, but this is a team where last year they used a lot of 13 personnel and they also used a ton of 12 personnel so tight ends are going to again going to be an emphasis and a staple in this offense. Yeah, I, I was actually surprised at how much the Giants used their multiple tight end packages. Now, I didn't realize just how much it was until I was doing the research for the recent summer school post on 12 personnel. The Giants were the third, used multiple tight end sets, the third most in the NFL last year. You know, and especially 13 personnel, which is the three tight ends on the field at a time. They were the second most in the whole NFL, yeah, just behind the, well, not exactly just behind the Cleveland Browns, the Giants ran 100 plays with three tight ends on the field. 
the only problem there is they weren't very good when they did that. You know, they you would think that would be a, a running scenario where get all those big big bodies on the field, you punch the defense in the mouth and run the ball. And the Giants did they ran about two thirds of the time, sixty one percent. The only problem is they weren't very good at it. They had a successful run in forty three percent, and they only averaged three and a third yards per carry. You know, you compare that to the Browns who ran the most thirteen personnel. They had a success rate of forty six percent, averaged four point six yards per carry, and had two rushing touchdowns out of it. But the problem is the Giants also weren't very good throwing out of 13%. Uh, there they only had a success rate of 44, 44%. And on 39 dropbacks, they had four sacks. That is uh, not... they. It was kind of weird to see them use this personnel grouping so often and really be handicapping themselves while doing so. Now, maybe the addition of Kyle Rudolph would help and making better use of Evan Ingram, you know, putting him in position to better use his talents out of this personnel grouping would help. Because, you know, just one of the things that's kind of counterintuitive is that heavier personnel groupings, as long as you have skill position players that can move and be athletic, they are actually good for passing. So you would think that a 13 personnel package would be a solid passing formation, but for the Giants last year, it just wasn't. So maybe that's something they want to fix. And maybe part of the reason why they're carrying so many tight ends is they actually want to lean into that despite their additions to the wide receiving core right and, and honestly what i what we were discussing before the show and there's a lot that comes into play there you're talking about all these these various percentages and usages and it it doesn't really seem like highly productive for the amount that they were using 13 personnel and some of these tight end heavy groups it makes me wonder going into 2021 do they critically evaluate themselves and say, all right, this wasn't necessarily working to the degree of success that we had hoped. Do we decide to redirect the offensive approach and maybe go a little bit more receiver heavy? Now, in a logical world, just based on paper, without knowing what's going on in these offensive meetings and on the field, that would make the most sense. They have all of these new receivers. They've got a ton of speed. They've got a lot of options now at that receiver position. And based on the lack of ability to perform out of these tight end heavy sets, it I think it would make a lot of sense for them to move away from going in 13 personnel as much as they did last year and maybe sticking a little bit more 11 personnel and heck, maybe even go 10 personnel sometimes if you really want to stretch the field. Yeah, that I think would be the logical thing to do. But then they're going into training camp with eight <laughs> tight ends on the roster, <laughs> or at least six tight ends and two receivers who are attempting to transition to tight end. So that it's that is if they're if they're looking to transition to more of an eleven or even ten personnel more spread focused offense. That is really 
counterintuitive and confusing for them that they would carry this many tight ends and you know the, are are they going to wind up cutting five of them maybe you know but just based on how much they use 12 personnel how much they use 10 personnel it it seems like they're kind of leaning back into it despite the fact that it didn't really work all that well for them yeah, and we've seen a tendency to do that, and I, I think with Jason Garrett, it's always been a bit of a willingness to stick with some things that might not necessarily be working, and that was a, a big, I guess, complaint last year with Jason Garrett is the, the vanilla nature of the offense, despite having you know some interesting options to go to. I, I'm just hoping, Chris, that this year, after all of the moves that they made, just simply from a like a just my perspective, not from like a analyzing saying like if they do this, this will work. I just hope that they don't go tight end heavy off the bat early and often kind of deal. Because after again, all of the money that they spent, all of the capital, they should be going with more receivers, and they have the the personnel to run. I think a good Air Coriel offense that we were expecting them to run in the first year, which was. We were thinking stretch the field vertical concepts. We didn't. I don't know if we really necessarily got that as much as we expected, but maybe maybe that is what is going to be the changing point is that Jason Garrett now was able to structure the offense with the receivers and the skill players the way that he wanted to. Yeah, and the, the Giants do have, and this is going a little bit off topic and back to our wide receiver preview, but they do have a good mix of personnel for a 10 personnel package with Kenny Galladay and Darius Slayton out wide. Then you could have Sterling Shepard and Kadarius Tony, you know, in the two slots. Or if you, you know, do like say a, a bunch to one side in a three by one package. Yeah. There's a lot of different skill sets and ways to attack the defense at multiple levels of the field all at once. And that would be really tough for almost any defense in the NFL to cope with and you know th- that would make a lot of sense for them to really focus on incorporating into their offense certainly and, and hopefully we do get to see some of that stuff and some changes for the offensive play calling and the schemes coming into 2021 folks that is going to be it from us on today's episode be sure to hit that subscribe button leave us a five-star review if you enjoy listening in folks also head to bigblueview.com and then follow us on social media at bigblueview on twitter and instagram talk to you soon folks enjoy the rest of the week